Let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for uh, this day and uh, all that you've made. And uh, Lord, I just ask now that you would uh, would be with me as I speak and that you would be with uh, all of my family here as they listen and that uh, truth would be spoken and heard. So we give you praise in all things and ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've made it to part four, and you're all still here for the most part, so that's good, of this series about membership. And so previously I talked about, you know, in in order, first of all, this idea of being a functioning church member, that church membership is about being a a functioning part of a body. And so uh, the term inactive church member is an oxymoron. There is no such thing, you know, that you, you need to plug in and be a part of it in some way. We talked about being a unifying church member and about things that we can do to bring unity and not dissension uh, within the church body. And then last week, we talked about being an unselfish church member. And that sort of combats this idea that church is all about you or me or any individual, that it's bigger than that. Uh, But For our church in particular, and for where we stand as a body today, uh, I really think, believe that this could be the most important message in the entire series. Now, there's a couple more after it uh, that are important, but this particular one, uh, I really think, is what's going to make the difference uh, in this church. And it talks about our members being praying church members. In 1949, George Roy and Elizabeth Wood, an American missionary couple serving in northwest Northwest China and Tibet, were forced to leave the area. Now, they were able to uh, find a local leader. His name was Pastor Mung. And Pastor Mung took over this church of about 200 people, was how many they had uh, had gathered. And so um, they returned to America and... So that was 49. So roughly 35 years later in 1985, both of them had passed away. And neither one knew what had become of this work that they had begun in China. And so in 88, roughly three years after his parents died, their son George returned to China and met, found, and met with Pastor Meng and his wife. And they were now in their 80s. And so um, for 28, the, some of the, the intervening 28 years, the communist government had done their best to try and extinguish the church in China. And so uh, Pastor Meng was not allowed to preach, and he spent about nine of those years in prison uh, simply for his faith. It was illegal to baptize or, in their minds, indoctrinate anyone under the age of 18. So when the government finally allowed Pastor Meng to reopen his church in 1983, there were only 30 people in attendance, and most of them were older. So now, remember, it's 1988, so we're roughly five years beyond that. And that's when George Wood went over there. And so he, after finding Pastor Mung, George Wood goes to him and says, well, you know, Pastor Mung, how many believers do you have today? 
Well, his wife brought out this cardboard roll that was tied together with yarn. And they gave it to George Wood, and he opens it up, and the first page was filled with writing. It's five columns, name, age, gender, address, and occupation. And there were about 20 names on the page. And as George Wood continued looking at it, he turned over page after page after page. And these were all people the church had baptized. So this was their role. Finally, he asked them, well, how many believers do you now have? Pastor Monk said 1,500 baptized believers would ask, well, how did this happen? Pastor Mung smiled as he shared his secret for church growth. He said, well, you know, it's, it wasn't a technique or a program. He simply said, oh, well, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray a lot. Now think for a minute about the people who prayed in the Bible. You have Abraham who prayed for a city. You have Moses who prayed for God's people. You have Joshua who prayed for guidance. Hannah prayed for a child. Solomon prayed for wisdom. And the early church prayed fervently for people. Now I'm going to ask for some help again today like I did one time before. And I think, yes, all of these are from the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to read off some verses, and I'd like people to volunteer to read them. Generally, it's just one verse. So, who wants to read Acts 1.14? All right. Acts 3.1. Elaine. Acts 4.31. All right, Richard, I'm not going to miss you this time. <laughs> Britt's the one who's sitting behind the pole. Uh, Acts 6.4. Britt, you want to do that one? Okay. Acts 10.9. Thank you very much. Acts 12.5. All right. Acts 13.3. Good. Uh, Acts 14.23. Renee. Acts 16.25. John. Acts 20.36. Elias. All right, and then Acts 28.8, Craig. All right, so everybody find your verse. We're just going to go one after the other. All right, ready? Acts 1.14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Acts 3.1. Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 6.4. So we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Acts 10.9. On the morrow, as they went on their journey, they drew nigh unto the city, 
Acts 12.5. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God, by the church of the Gentiles. Acts 13.3. Acts 14.23. Acts 16.25. Acts 20.36. And Acts 28.8. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. All right, thank you all. Now, what point am I trying to make here? The book of Acts is about the church, right? It's really, it's focus, pretty much the entire book is on the development and the growth of the church. All right? And so we just read, I don't know, roughly a dozen or so verses from that book that all focus on prayer. And the point I'm trying to make is that prayer matters. And God's church has got to be a praying church. See, too often we we don't pray until we absolutely have to. You know, we face this situation and and we've tried to deal with it and nothing's really working. And it's like, oh, well, I guess I could pray. <laughs> sort of as a last resort. And, and, you know, honestly, I think we come by this just due to the way we are as a society because we've all been taught to be fixers, right? You know, we try to, you know, that's sort of what's ingrained in us. We try to fix something, to deal with it on our own. And then if all else fails, we'll pray. And so we turn to God, you know, as a last resort instead of a first and only hope. And so evangelicals as a whole are typically more fixers than they are prayers. But I think, you know, if, if we really desire for our church to have an impact on society. And, and well, does anyone care to agree or disagree with that statement that the church, that the society needs for the church to have an impact on it? Okay, so that seems fairly well settled. Then we've got to pray. If we all agree that that needs to happen, then prayer has got to be a part of that. And when I say the church has got to pray, you know, hopefully by now you understand that's all of you and me, us. We have to pray. I've got to be a praying pastor and you have to be praying church members. Now, I'm going to get into the, the what we're going to pray for here in a moment. But first, I, I'd like to talk just for a moment or two about the how because that seems to be a problem for for people from time to time. And you find some people, and prayer is just as easy as sleeping or talking to a neighbor. They just fall into it. They understand that it's a a communication with God, and they, they have this ability 
to just talk to God like he's sitting across from them, you know, in another chair. But there are others where the thought of praying, and especially the thought of praying out loud, you know, is going to send them running for the exits. And I'm sure there's a couple of you sitting here now that if I happened upon you and said, would you, would you pray to close the service? You'd be like, no. <laughs> Please ask someone else. So if you're one of those who doesn't really kind of understand yet this whole idea of prayer, then this particular video might help a little bit. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could text God? I hadn't really thought of that until I watched that again, and I was thinking, God, that would really be great. But see, prayer, what that was really intending to sort of illustrate is that prayer is supposed to be a conversation, a normal conversation, right? And, you know, as I was thinking about this aspect of normal and natural and so forth, there was a video that I showed a few years ago that I actually went back and found. Um, and this offers several uh, possibilities on how to pray, most of them somewhat incorrect. So I thought it might help as well uh, to watch this as well. So this one was called The Skinny on Prayer. My prayer life is vibrant and it's active daily. I like to commune with God at nighttime. I get under those warm covers and I kiss my wife goodnight and I just start talking to God. Just me and God, tell him everything. <sighs> Makes me just sleepy just thinking about it. And there I am just laying in bed, laying out my request to him and he's hearing me and I know that I'm in good company with him. Where was I? The efficiency of one's prayers are directly congruent to the position of one's body. Therefore, the legs should be saying, 
God help me. Amen. There are times that me and God do not talk, and that is not God's fault, that is mine. I just get so busy. And so when I do end up talking to God, I really just try to impress him, give him a show, just to show him how much I love him. So excuse me, will you, as I pray to God. Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, Heavenly Father, beseech me not unto thee, how now? Brown cow, oh, thy soul is so dry, and if I can just catch a morsel of who you are, so verily, merrily, down the stream. God, I, I just want to be used by you, God, I want... I want to be salt and light and light and salt and sight and love and peppers and oregano and pepperoni and black olives and those little bit. When I like to get my prayer on, uh, there's some things I keep in mind. Um, I think it's totally awesome that uh, God is like Santa Claus and he wants to give you the things that you want. Therefore, you need to keep lists of things. My list currently has 745 prayer requests on them. So then when I go to the Lord in prayer, it looks a little something like this. I'll just pray real quick. Um, let's see, the uno thing on my list is my mom, and so I'll pray for her now. Dear Heavenly Father, I lift up this sweet salt of the earth lady that you have blessed me with to be my mother, and I tell you thank you. And although I know that I'm called to respect her, and I give her all due respect, there's also an issue of something she truly needs, and that is to stop a yapping. Lord, she yaps, and she doesn't know how to stop yapping, so could you please make her mute just for a day? Nothing permanent. Don't hurt her. I love her. Just mute her. Take your big God remote and push mute on her channel. That would be great. Henceforth, I would go on and pray all 746 things. <laughs> My prayer life is vibrant and it's active. He needs, and that is to stop. Henceforth, I would go on and pray all seven. Yeah, I think it got cut off. Well, you get the idea, right? <laughs> I think the last one was simply the guy that comes back on and he prays the Our Father in, a, in very much a um, normal tone of voice, using his own words rather than that which. Uh, you know, or in the Bible, but kind of following that format. So once again, the whole idea is really just to emphasize that, you know, it doesn't have to be loud and formal and you don't have to sit with your legs crossed or, you know, you can kneel if you like, but that's not, you know, a necessity. So all of those things are not as important as just doing it, okay? Just taking the time to do it. So... Um, I'm going to outline right now what I really would hope that we all would be praying for as church members. And uh, 
if we can all do this, and then it's going to be a lot easier for us to really adopt this kind of idea of, of being a, uh, a praying church. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, <clears throat> you can pray for my family. And uh, one of the most convicting and challenging verses for pastors is 1 Timothy 3.5. 1 Timothy 3.5 says, For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? See, pastors worry, and, and this I'm going to speak generally, but this includes me as well. We worry that we neglect our families because of the demands of the church. We worry about our families living in a so-called glass house. We worry and we anguish when we hear somebody direct something unkind towards one of our family members. You are the church. And I and the royal we, for speaking for all pastors, need you to pray. You've got to be the intercessors for, for my family. See, few families face the kinds of pressures and expectations as do the families of pastors. I'm the one that God called to do this. They didn't get a lot of say in the matter. But if Satan thinks that he can get to me by getting to them, he's not going to hesitate to try. And so what I'm asking for is that you would pray for their well-being and equally hard for their protection. Now, I pray every day. and I'm, This is the prayer that I pray every day, and I pray this for my family. I just say, Father God, please protect Sally, Barbara, Jarrett, Jennifer, and me from sickness, from all harm, and from accidents. If any of us has been subjected to any curses, hexes, or spells, then I break the power of these curses, hexes, and spells in Jesus' name. If any evil spirits have been sent against us, I decommission you in the name of Jesus and command you to go to the feet of Jesus for him to deal with. And then, Father, I ask that you send your holy angels to guard and protect all of us. Amen. So that's the prayer that I pray every day for my family and for myself. But I <clears throat> and any other pastor of whatever church you may ultimately end up with uh, would be extremely grateful if you prayed for their families. You can also be a, uh, a praying church member by praying for our protection. <clears throat> now, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 2 through 4 provides some of the qualifications that are required of pastors. So let's take a look at that. So it says, uh, it starts out in verse 2, So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. Now, 
just to get past the above reproach part is, is an accomplishment. Because this word reproach, reproach means to find fault. And so to be above reproach means to be above finding fault with someone. And so that expectation is almost saying that the pastors or the elders need to be perfect, right? Above reproach. Now, that's not a realistic expectation. Um, but pastors are expected to have a reputation that is above everyone else's. Um, you know, when people in the community speak or think about a pastor or a church, their thoughts ought to be positive and encouraging. But that's still quite an expectation to be held to. On top of that, pastors must maintain self-control. They must be sensible, respectable, hospitable, a good teacher, gentle and not argumentative, <clears throat> not greedy, and uh, just to add a little bit more pressure, his or her family must reflect a healthy Christian family. Do you see why I and other pastors need you all to pray for me? But going a little bit further, <clears throat> there's a list uh, in, that in, the, in that list of qualifications. If we drop down to verse 7, there's one that kind of pulls all of this together into perspective. And it says, also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Now, the outsiders that this verse refers to are people outside the church, right? And in that context, the verse mentions something called the devil's trap. Now, I don't want to kind of blow past those words too quickly. Now, the devil is pretty obvious. He's the literal chief among demons. We believe here that he's real and he's powerful. He's been given dominion over this earth for a time. So that's not really much of a surprise, but there's a very a somewhat rare word that's used in this verse that is not found in the Bible very often. And it speaks of this, of the devil's trap. Now a trap is not something that you accidentally run into. It's something that is set intentionally. It means that the devil has devised some plan to bring a pastor down. He set a trap. It means that the devil sees the pastor as a threat and one of his highest priorities is to take him out or take him down. And the text is pretty clear about how that will happen. The nature of the trap is going to be temptation where the pastor's reputation will be harmed. And so if you stop and think about it, it really shouldn't be a big surprise to us when we read about pastors falling uh, into moral failure or some other uh, sin. We're grieved and we're heartbroken, but we shouldn't be surprised. See, the devil is setting traps for pastors. Scripture tells us that. Anything that he can do to harm the reputation. Because once that's gone, there's nothing left. 
And so he'll stop at nothing, whether it's greed, adultery, anger, addiction. I mean, we could probably sit here now and name off at least a half a dozen stories of pastors that we have heard about who have fallen for any one of a number of those things. See, the devil is powerful, but God is so much more powerful. And God works through the prayers of his people. Now, we don't understand exactly how that happens. But he works through the prayers of believers. And so it just is, it serves as another reminder and another reason why you need to pray for your pastors, whoever they may be. Praying for your pastor's health is another area that I think is important for, for church members to pray for. Um, to serve and lead a church well takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time. You're on call, you know, every hour of every day pretty much. I've gotten phone calls in the middle of the night that I've had to take and spend time talking to someone who was really in a crisis. Um, and so there are... The, the possibility is great that if, with all of this going on, pastors could very easily neglect their own health. And, you know, nobody's invulnerable to getting sick or to being in an accident, but you can pray for their protection against those kinds of things. And I would add there that, that you should also pray for your pastor's mental health, and I don't mean that in a... <laughs> institutional sort of way. Um, but what I mean is that, your pa that the pastors would be blessed with great wisdom because there's a lot, of, um, a lot of decisions, a lot of discernment that's necessary you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. And so be, having that wisdom to make the right decision, to make the right call is, uh, is really important. And so mental health from a wisdom standpoint uh, is important as well. And then finally, you can be a praying church member by praying for your church. Now, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, well, I guess it's, it was right near the end of January, so it's about a month now. Um, Sally and I went to the Vineyards Doing the Stuff conference. And uh, John and Harry went along well. It was at the uh, Champaign-Urbana Vineyard. And one of the pastors that spoke was a pastor named Bruce Latshaw. And uh, Bruce pastors the Barn Vineyard in uh, Landenburg, Pennsylvania. It's where the youth uh, just went on their retreat last weekend. And uh, Bruce talked at length about this horrible season that uh, he and the church went through. Uh, and in, in the midst of that, they lost about half the members of the church. He described that there was this heaviness that was just there every week, and they would battle their way through it, you know, in praise and worship, and eventually kind of get some freedom from it, but it would come right back and settle right back over the whole place. It was so bad that when someone came to him and told him they were leaving, he said, well, I, I really can't blame you. If I didn't work here, I'd leave too. 
But he really got my attention about this when he described that one of their problems was, or he described it as aborted vision implementation. And the idea here is that, you know, a good idea gets raised up, people sort of initially get excited about it, and then the idea just kind of dies and goes away. And then the process repeats itself. And I thought, wow, I've seen that happen here a bunch. And so as things started to turn around in the church, Bruce was having a conversation with the Lord one day, and he said, you know, Lord, thank you, you know, for bringing us out of that season, but I don't ever want to have to go through that again. What do I need to do? What do we need to do as a church? And he said that the Lord told him very clearly, become a house of prayer. And they did. And they've now added back as many people as they've lost during that dark time and then some. And it, it so resonated with me what he was saying that I knew I needed to bring that back here. And the really nice thing about Bruce's talk was that he, he explained how they did this. And so you, know, you would naturally think, okay, well, we need to assign people so we have 24-7 prayer coverage, this and that. No, that's not how they did it at all. But here's what we're going to do. Got a single sheet here on a clipboard, and it, it's titled 40 and 1 Days of Prayer. Now, where did I come up with that number? Well, it's 41 days starting tomorrow until Easter. So when you think of 40 days of Lent, typically you don't count Sundays. That's how they arrive at that number. So uh, 40 and 1 days is what we have, 41 days until Easter. What I am asking all of you to do is if you are willing to pray for a minimum of 15 minutes one day a week. All right? What I'm trying to get to is that we have an hour's worth of prayer, at least an hour's worth of prayer for the church going on every day from now until Easter. All right? Now, let me say this. I do not want you to sign this if you do not intend to complete the assignment. I mean, I need people to sign up on this that are going to be willing, you know, to keep that commitment and do their 15 And you don't have to. It doesn't have to be only 15 minutes. I mean, if you've got a burden and you want to pray for an hour, wonderful. That would be great. Now, what to pray for? Well, I know we just had this little thing about lists. Um, so I put a list together. <laughs> However, it does not have 700 and some odd items on it. And the only reason I did this is because sometimes we just don't know exactly what to pray for. It's like, okay, well, pastor, what do you need prayer for for? Well, that's what I've got here. Is I've put together a list of just some things that you can just kind of go down through this list and pray for each one. And then at the very end, and, one of the things that I included, because I think it's important, is I've got a listing here of all of the, the churches that are in this area that I'm aware of. And I'm sure I've missed some. 
but all that I could think of that were essentially Ashland area churches, they're all on here because I want us to pray for them too. I've got our missionaries on here. You know, I've got um, all of our, the people in ministry, you know, life group leaders, the worship team, the Sunday school teachers, all of those, those folks. And so this is what we're going to do. If you're willing to do this, and like I said, a minimum of 15 minutes one time a week. Now you can also sign up for a couple of days. You know, if you want to do 15 minutes a day, that'd be great too. But what I'm hoping we can get to is that we've got at least an hour a week going on. We're going to do that for 41 days, at least an hour a week. Then we're going to get, we're going to actually, oh, this is like conducting an experiment almost. And what I want to do is, uh, we won't really be able to do it on Easter Sunday. I don't think that's really the best time. But sometime shortly thereafter, we're going to kind of take a look and see what's happened. Because I almost can guarantee you that this is going to not be the same place it is today if we do this. So we'll get those. John, you want to put these in the back? We'll put them on that... Uh, the, the table there that's underneath a little display for uh, uh, the global missions. Thank you, sir. So, you know, sign up if, you're, if you'd like to do, you know, spend some prayer time and then grab a guide. If, there are, if we run out of those guides, which would be lovely if we would run out, just let me know and I'll, I'll email them to you because I've got them electronically. Now, I found this quote somewhere, um, but I didn't write down who said it, so I can't really give attribution to the original author. Uh, but I thought it was so spot on as a way to close this message on being a praying church member that um, I wanted to share it. And I've also added a little bit to it. I mod modified it a little bit, added some of my own thoughts. So what we end up with here is kind of a hybrid between the original author's thoughts and my own. So let me read it. <clears throat> I am increasingly convinced that if Harmony Vineyard Church is to live and actually be alive, one of the reasons, maybe the most important, and maybe the only reason, will be because we have taken up our place in the line of the faithful who have prayed before us. It will be because we pray the prayer that Christ himself prayed when he walked among us and now longs to pray through us. It will be because we choose to no longer be among the prayerless ones who sit in silence, but instead intentionally choose to pray to our Father. It will be because we make sure that the wave of prayer that sustained the church for all time does not stop when it's our turn to pray every day. It will be because we answer the ancient call to pray without ceasing. Abraham prayed. <clears throat> Moses prayed, Joshua prayed, Hannah prayed, Solomon prayed, Jesus prayed, the apostles 
prayed. The early church prayed. Paul prayed. Now it's our turn. Let's honor the words of Jesus and turn this version of his house into a house of prayer. We're going to start with just an hour a day. Amen? All right, let's stand. If I could have some members of the prayer team come up and be available. And if you've got anything going on, you know, in, in your life, um, whether it's a physical need, whether it's, you know, some, some situation that you're dealing with at work that you need, you know, some prayer, some wisdom for, this is the time to come and to, uh, to get that. Uh, we, you know, I told the story last week of getting prayer and this thing on my chest just went away. I mean, you can barely even see. I thought it's probably not a good idea if I said, well, look, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Yeah, too bad. Yeah, that's just, you'd never get that image out of your head, and it just would be bad. So you'll have to take my word and my wife's word for it, because she saw it both ways. Um, but, you know, prayer works. It really works, and we always express surprise that it does. It's like, wow, that's great. But know that it works. And so, you know, don't hesitate to come up and get prayer. And I know sometimes, you know, you get prayer. Sometimes it takes more than once, okay? I don't know why. It's just one of those mysteries of our faith that we sort of have to live with. But sometimes it takes two, three, four times. And there will be people who um, will start to think, oh, I went up last week, I shouldn't, you know, people are going to think I'm weird or needy or whatever. If I go up again, just stop. Don't even go there. Think of the story of the persistent widow. And I'm, I'm convinced that's why that story is in the Bible. You know, this widow wanted just, Jesus told the story of the persistent widow. And the widow wanted justice, but she wasn't getting any because the judge was corrupt, and he just decided he wasn't going to, to give her justice. And she kept going back time after time after time until she, he finally agreed to give her justice simply so that she would stop coming. <laughs> so the idea is pretty clear. If, you know, if it doesn't happen the first time, then you come back a second time, and then you come back a third time, and you come back a fourth time. So don't be, you know, don't let that enter your thinking that I can't go up because I went up last week. You know, no, you come up ne this week and next week and until next December if you need to. God will honor that kind of faith. All right, so we're going to pray a dismissal, and then, you know, if you have something that you'd like to have prayer for, just invite you to come. So, Father God, I thank you uh, for this message. I, my prayer now is that you would uh, take away anything that I said that was, uh, was not truth and allow people to only remember that which is truth. Bless them as they go forth uh, in this week. Father, I, I just ask you now for a great harvest of uh, prayers 
that uh, we would rally around this request and that uh, we would have more than an hour of prayer going on for this church a day, every day of the week. So I give you praise and thanks in advance for that, Father God. Bless each person here as they leave, as they go off to do whatever uh, their day holds for them. Just bless their day and their week ahead. We thank you for each one. And we ask your blessings upon all of them now. In Jesus' name, amen.